Chapter Two of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Motorman. And now there befell me an adventure, disquieting enough for the moment, but proving to have the happiest effect on the fortunes of my whole journey, for it warned me in time against what might have lost me many pleasant encounters and illuminating hours i had hardly hoped to escape altogether from the presence of motors even when going by the least frequented ways in fact i had all but reckoned on an occasional motor lift if only as a variation in the scheme of travel now turning a sharp bend in the lane I came suddenly upon what struck me as the most magnificently appointed car I had ever seen. It was drawn up at the roadside, and had evidently been under repair, for the owner was busily packing away a number of tools that lay about him. But the trouble was obviously at an end now, and the car ready for work. As I came up with it, the driver touched some part of its mechanism, and the engine immediately burst into a tumult of humming and whirring. He looked round at me with what seemed rather disproportionate satisfaction beaming in his eyes. Off the switch, he cried merrily. Did you see it? No grinding away at handles. Just a touch of the switch, and away she goes. <laughs> he burst into a delighted peal of laughter his joy at the event was so entirely genuine that i not understanding in the least why he laughed fell to laughing with him it put us at once on the easiest of terms do you understand motors he went on in an abrupt hearty way no then you must think me a fool of course no one but a motorman can appreciate the quality of an engine that starts from the switch but hello it's nearly midday i must be off he scrambled into his seat by the by he added looking back which way do you happen to be going not to exeter i suppose because if you are i shall be most happy behind us then in the wooded lane there rang out the familiar sound of wheels turning i saw a comfortable basket chaise creeping placidly along in the sun-flecked shadows a sleek well-fed pony in the shafts and just as sleek and well-nourished a figure of an old gentleman sitting prim and bolt upright within it wrapped about with a tartan shawl there was a vacant seat beside him he looked the picture of genial communicativeness i turned to the motorman to make my excuses for i had not the smallest reason or desire to go anywhere near exeter but as i turned one of those queer perverse impulses to which we are all subject seized upon me without any volition of my own 
the intended refusal of his offer changed on my lips to acceptance and i got into the car it was my first lift in a motor and before we had gone a furlong i was vowing it should be the last it became at once clear to me that its owner was bent on making a show of its capabilities the lanes were narrow here much wooded and full of abrupt turns but he set his engine immediately to what seemed a dangerous pace a keen searching wind sprang up from nowhere changing the mild autumn weather to chilly winter at a stroke the trees and hedgerows got themselves legs and raced by in an indistinguishable streak of green the woods beyond began that giddy twirling movement that you see from the window of an express train my companion let out another notch or two of the motor's caged-up energy and bent silently to his work i dragged my cap over my eyes and buttoned up my ineffectual coat every second or two the bugle blared out its deep note and the driver carried another contrivance which he shouted to me was an electric buzzer a snarling rasping thing whose notes seemed nothing less than an insult to the morning now the brakes went on and we slowed down to thread a village street some day i will go back to that village and spend a whole penitential morning there by the hurried glimpse i got of it it seemed a beautiful little place but all i saw of it then was a blurred thicket of housetops some scurrying poultry and frightened screaming children a rush of apron mothers to cottage doors and then we were out between the gliding hedgerows again swooping along at a faster pace than ever the motorman turned me an enthusiastic beaming face the most exhilarating thing in the world he shouted who would crawl along with horses after a taste of this but wait until we get through newton abbott you shall see what speed is then a gas lamp started up by the roadside and then another the flying trees got fewer and spinning houses suddenly plentiful about us the brake jammed on again and we dropped to a tortoise-like eight miles an hour i mopped the tears from my streaming eyes we must be careful here said the motorman they are so absurdly particular especially on market days i will make pious pilgrimage also to newton abbott some day and take my fill of the joys of an old-fashioned market day in a thriving ancient west of england town but it was lost to me for that journey i had indeed a half resolve to cry halt and escape from the juggernaut of excruciating modernity that had me in its thrall but before i could make up my mind about it we had pierced through the crowd of men and lowing beasts and lines of hucksters booths 
and were pounding up a steep hill at the other end of the town afterwards i made out from my map that it was some thirteen or fourteen miles from newton to exeter there was not a yard of the way but was strewn with my vain regrets and will at the earliest chance be reconnoitred on foot but i remember hardly anything about it i have a confused notion of a country beautiful in the extreme bleating by like an april shower i know we rushed half a dozen villages each of which would have furnished the profitable pleasuring of an hour i recollect taking to the moors and storming like an atlantic liner through a sea of heather half crimson half rich brown with breaking waves of gorse golden upon it everywhere i got one swift peep into a gypsy camp a little vortex of wild life right on the summit of the highest hill and then we let go of cloudland and shot like a meteor mile after mile down into a blue abyss of valley with the smoke and rooftops spires and greenery of exeter lying like a toy city far below that was the maddest wickedest stretch of the whole iniquitous journey and it drove my folly well home to me i sat as close as i could feeling like an autumn leaf blown against a wall a leaf that might the next instant be wafted miles high across country my clothes were not the slightest service to me the motorman was cased in leather from head to foot but as for me the blast cut clean through every garment and i was as cold as watercress in a midwinter pond but deliverance was not far now our lightning swoop downward ended a hurtling mile or two shot us into the arms of civilization once more with a sigh audible above the sough of the wind and the throbbing of the engine my companion put the brake lever hard over and unwillingly enough slowed down to legal pace we crawled into the town to the old harsh duet of buzzer and bugle and pulled up at the foot of the main street i stayed hardly a moment to tender the motorman perfunctory thanks for the ride then made straight for the nearest public house my teeth were chippering together idiotically i was numb to the spine my uncertain feet would scarce carry me across the roadway i had but one idea a potion hot and strong as the place could brew it i shouldered into the crowded bar behind which the landlord stood perspiring in his shirt-sleeves he took my order with evident surprise warm as summer isn't it he remarked fire bless you we don't want no fire why i've started selling lemon squashes again i stayed in exeter perhaps an hour wondering at the magnificence of the shops wondering still more 
at the populous state of the thoroughfares which would not have disgraced london city on a fairly busy day above all i was impressed by the keen metropolitan air of the people and the brisk pace with which all seemed to move lounging through the busy high street after lunch almost the only idler in the throng the thought came to me why they are exactly like london devonians and considering this farther i seemed to get a clue to a matter that had long puzzled me with most english provinces to know the men of them is almost to know the provinces themselves climate and soil are alike reflected in the bluff brown faces the yorkshiremen's downrightness and sturdiness and homely bonhomie are plainly derived from his vast bleak acres surrey gravel would speak if it could in the easy-going hasteless surrey lingo the crisp quick tang of highland sussex is the very voice of the tireless downland wind and the rolling hills of chalk but of devon you will learn very little by studying devonshire men in london go among the thousands of them there and if you have never been in the south-west country you will get an impression of a land not unlike scotland a close-fisted screwing yet lovable land a land of breeding out of sheer necessity a tough-natured canny domineering race one with their native soil loving to speak of it at all times but turning their backs upon it with all the resigned yet shrewd alacrity of the scot but devonshire is the very antithesis of all this if the rule were to hold good soil and climate producing the man devonians would be known by their static genial drift with the tide ways whenever we met a good-natured indolent countryman with a taste for lolling in the sunshine quick for the pleasant useless side issues of life and very slow for the things that are hard and ugly and vitally important we should be ready to wager that he came from this lotus-eating land of the west well the county does really abound in such people you find them everywhere in the rural districts but in these alone they do not go to the great towns hardly ever do they stray beyond their native horizons as a rule they are content to live and love be merry and die within the charmed circle of the same few hills cities like exeter are made by a separate local strain of humanity an upcropping here and there of virtually alien folk they exist because there is this special imperious call for them they are quarantines of independence and to them flock all the hardy keen penurious souls of the county and from them come the men of devon that londoners know men of brawn eager witty undisguisedly commercial men that take up the running with the best of us 
soon out cockneying the various cockney of the lot i never knew telegraph wires sing as those sang that led me out of exeter i kept to the great main road designedly for the rest of the day that i might the sooner win northward to my turning point whence i intended to go due east through the shyest least exploited country i could find there was very little wind abroad but overhead as i rode along through the rich afternoon light a deep quiet voice incessantly held forth and at every post it challenged me with a hoarser melody than ever if you have never ridden on the tailboard of a pantechnican van you will hardly realise the serene satisfaction of that afternoon's journey still smarting under the indignity of the morning's escapade and thoroughly surfeited with pace i fairly gloated over our deliberate progress it was like sitting on your own back doorstep while your house moved steadily across country on the same perch with me sprawled a beery man in a green baize apron but he was fast asleep most of the time and did not interfere with my meditations to all intents and purposes i was alone on this gently voyaging platform and had nothing to do but watch the sights of the road hearken to the lulling song of the wires above me and let the mellow afternoon sunbeams steep me through and through i was for colompton some thirteen miles off and the van was going all the way it was perhaps the least eventful stage of the whole journey but it had its small interests and inconspicuous pleasures at every turn moreover i was outrageously comfortable i sat in a kind of nest like a saddle-bag armchair made up of bales of soft household lumber the man at the other end of the tailboard had little else than some odd garden tools and a lawn-mower to lie on but as he was apparently quite content and snored uninterruptedly i did not trouble about him our progress was extraordinarily quiet the van made only a dull subterranean sort of rumbling that did not really disturb the peace and solitude of the ride all that tranquil golden afternoon and far into the red twilight we ambled on now and then the van pulled up at a wayside inn at its stoppage my companion invariably woke up stretched himself got sleepily off his bunk and followed the driver into the bar for the first few times i went in with them and paid their score but they proved the dullest pair of fellows i ever took road with and i soon tired of their comradeship thereafter remaining in my cosy nook until such time as it pleased them to move on and when this happened the man in the green baize apron was always asleep again before we had travelled half a mile the sun went down in a flare of scarlet 
an amazing light that still held faintly low on the earth line long after the darkness had hidden everything else once as this light was deepening into dusk i dozed off myself and woke to a terrifying spectacle i found myself surrounded by a surging roaring crowd of what seemed to be horned demons with great glowing eyes and wide nostrils that spurted steam in a hundred directions at once but we were only threading our way through a herd of half-wild cattle fresh from the market and soon left them behind darkness had completely fallen when at length we drew into Colompton, and i parted company with the furniture men and later when i looked out of the little window of the inn chamber up into the star-gemmed sky the song of the telegraph wires was still above me its soft clear music went with me into the land of dreams all through the hush of the long autumn night End of chapter two